Welcome, everybody, to the PCC Institute for Health Professionals podcast. My name is Pete Wright, and I'm here now with podcasting veteran K.P. Kalsa. K.P., how are you? Uh, doing okay from the veteran's point of view. Well, it's, I, I deeply appreciate you joining us again. Today, we are taking on uh, tra- uh, traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, traditional Chinese medicine has uh, uh, some, uh, there is some sort of mysticism about Chinese medicine and what, uh, and, and what it entails in terms of overall health care. And so I trust that you will walk us through traditional Chinese medicine and how it, uh, and, and, and shed some light on what otherwise may be mysterious for us. Well, sure, that'd be my pleasure. And let me just say from the outset that um, even though I guess there's a, an element of the mystic, uh, it's really more just a different perspective on how the world works and how we understand our our bodies that's based more on people's traditional experience of their body rather than relying on um, medical gizmos. Well, absolutely. I would I would say gizmos in general are to be avoided. At all costs, <laughs> I suppose. Okay, so how would you uh, how would you uh, like to start this conversation? I I I, uh, I assume it would be good to just uh, talk about from your perspective what is traditional Chinese medicine. Yeah, this is the style of medicine that evolved over the past, let's say, five thousand years or so in East Asia. It's uh, very similar to Ayurveda, the traditional healing system of uh, India that we also teach in our programs. And those two systems came from a common root, obviously. They're about 90% overlapping in terms of their understanding of how the body works and their orientation toward health. Their vocabulary is a bit different, and uh, the herbs that grow in the different areas are different. But if you know one, uh, it's easy to learn the other. One of the interesting things that happened in China over the past century is that uh, it was uh, China was dominated by a communist regime, and their whole idea was to send out people have probably heard of the barefoot doctors, but these uh, paramedics who went out into the villages where there was very poor health care. And those folks had had about uh, six weeks of basic training in uh, field first aid and basic acupuncture and herbalism, and they sent them out by the hundreds. They're very successful. But in order to do that, the, the government had to standardize their curriculum. So they took a look at all the ancient streams of Chinese medicine that had come together and essentially stripped away all the sort of non-essential cultural orientation and um, put together a consistent system that they could teach across the, the whole spectrum of uh, teachers. So that was very valuable for us because it standardized the, the language, the approach, the vocabulary, the the publishing, and uh, since most American practitioners don't speak Chinese, it allowed us to have a, a window into something that otherwise would have been quite mysterious for a long time. That's fascinating. How how does it relate to, or how does this, uh, this new standard sort of relate to the um, uh, kind of availability of what would, you, you know, otherwise traditional Chinese, uh, you know, medicinals. I, I, I'm thinking here about the, you know, you said early on that the, the context that we're talking about here is, is as this system of uh, integrative medicine evolved uh, over thousands of years, uh, the relationship of the people to their region and to the native species of plants and, uh, and, and available sort of um, uh, uh, medical products um, are, are, sort of, are intricately uh, uh, paired with the people and where they live. Uh, how does that relate to bringing Chinese medicine here? Every traditional culture has stratified their 
medical uh, education, their medical system, and their medical delivery into usually about three levels. And this occurred in Western herbalism, Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, all of these, where grandma would know um, a dozen plants and 20 ways to use each one, and she would treat 90% of what would occur in the family. Then there would be a clan or a village-type herbalist, usually a another more uh, educated grandmother who might know 50 plants and uh, you know many other ways to use them, and she'd take care of another 8%. And then the 2% would be taken care of by the educated elite who had a uh, university education or ed- were educated by mentorship. And uh, those folks would take care of the, uh, the kinds of things that we would think about going to physicians for now. So we ended up uh, having a wave of those educated elite coming here over the last generation and bringing their techniques, their, uh, their plants, their products to us. Since there was already a very large expat population of East Asians here for 200 years, they fit right in, these, um, these docs, and uh, they began treating the ethnic population. So that created the opportunity for people to see practitioners and to have products available very conveniently and at a very high level. So when the rest of non-Asian Americans began to be aware of Chinese medicine, there was a system very well established in place. We had plenty of Asian doctors, a lot of uh, good products, and it, it, it was able to develop very rapidly. So if we go back to when President Nixon went to China, which is kind of when all this started, and we saw videos of people having open heart surgery, uh, fully awake, talking to the people in the operating room, eating orange slices and only using acupuncture for anesthetic. That really grabbed us. So acupuncture took off first. But really, fundamentally, Chinese medicine is more a system of herbal medicine, which is what we're here to talk about today. And that came along on the tales of Chinese medicine of uh, acupuncture, but is definitely growing today. What would you say, uh, you know, as we look at the last, uh, you know, 30 years, uh, where we are today, uh, how would you characterize the awareness and acceptance of Chinese medicine in, in the non-Asian American population? You know, it's very well accepted now. And I think if you ask the average person on the street uh, if Chinese medicine has something to offer and they're interested, the vast majority would say yes. And probably the vast majority knows somebody who's been helped by it, especially where we are on the West Coast here. There's, we're, we're on the right side of the country to be uh, associated with Asia. But also people have had, Aunt Susie had her uh, sore neck treated with acupuncture and, uh, you know, Grandpa had this or that. So I think there's a generally positive perspective. The thing is people sort of don't know how to access it very well. They They know to maybe seek out an acupuncturist, but one of the big problems is that we licensed acupuncture first and we require Chinese practitioners to be acupuncturists. Uh, And acupuncture is really a specialty in Chinese medicine. The vast majority of medical visits in Chinese medicine in China are for herbal treatment and only a small percentage go on to treat acupuncture. We've reversed that here. So we end up creating this sort of strange disincentive where people get their insurance will cover their acupuncture, and so they go to use acupuncture for things that it's really not, that's not its forte. So slowly but surely, that's changing, and over time, people are able to get Chinese um, herbs in their health food store. Probably the best-known herb in the world is ginseng, which is a Chinese herb. Well, that was that was my next question. Can you give us some examples of, of uh, some of the uh, outstanding Chinese herbs that we have heard of, uh, or we likely uh, have heard of, and, and what we might be using them for? 
Sure. Well, mainly people think of ginseng as a sex herb, uh, but really ginseng is almost like a multiple vitamin. It's the most uh, widely applicable herb in Chinese medicine in terms of the kinds of things that it treats. The scientific name for ginseng is panax, which comes from the Latin word panacea, which just means it treats everything. Ginseng is normally used only by men in Asia, not forbidden for women, but generally uh, treats men's conditions better. So it increases stamina, immune function, enhances digestion, circulation, so many things. And the idea is that you would just take a gram or two a day, starting with men normally about age 30, to enhance libido and these other kinds of things. Um, easily available, and everybody uh, knows about it. Let's see, what could we talk about next? Licorice um, is an herb that is the most widely used herb in Chinese medicine. It's in more Chinese formulas than any other product. And it's another um, stamina energy enhancer taken by either gender. It's used for so many things. So it treats inflammatory digestive disorders like heartburn. Uh, it increases uh, mental clarity. Uh, it's a profound anti-inflammatory. So it's used for joint pain, that sort of thing. And again, small doses, just a gram or two or three a day as needed. Another great example would be the herb astragalus that probably many people have heard of. It's again a, an energy and stamina booster, but we think of it here more as an immune uh, remedy. So people use large amounts of astragalus to treat acute cold and flu and to support their immune system so that they don't get cold and flu. The beautiful thing about astragalus is that it actually tastes good, which is uncommon in Chinese medicine. So it makes a tasty tea and uh, it's good for kids. Kids like to drink it. So that's one. That's a good introductory uh, herb for people who are looking to start with something in the Chinese herb realm. Well, it, it, it's uh, you know these these three examples are, are are very familiar to me, and I, I imagine you know others listening who have uh, you know seen these um, you know in, represented on their store shelves um, may not have known that these sort of come from a background of, of traditional Chinese medicine. Now that they're packaged and bottled and pretty, uh, so it's a it's a good sense of awareness here. Yeah, it's definitely uh, increasing. I, what we ended up having in America is a lot of herbs and not much herbalism, and that's what we're looking to change with this course that we do at PCC where we train professional herbalists. It's going to take a generation for this all to get straightened out, but we we created a problem here where people sort of were over-promised but under-delivered by nutritional supplement companies I didn't understand the context in which these things were used, you know. So we think of astragalus as an herb for cold and flu and a ginseng as a sex herb and licorice for heartburn. But really, if they're used in the proper cultural context with a an expert who knows how to use them, they have, they're have they much more successful in the first place. And then we use the proper dose and the proper indications and people get much better results. Well, and that, that gets to sort of the next um, uh, the next question, which is, uh, you know, how do uh, the students uh, through PCC Climb uh, benefit from learning about traditional Chinese medicine as they uh, integrate this sort of new skill, uh, skill set into their uh, body of knowledge? Well, we teach two courses at PCC Climb that are both associated with Chinese medicine. One is the nutritional therapist program uh, that includes about 15% of the total subject matter is uh, herbs. And that of course, mainly we talk about foods and vitamins, but um, of the herb material, uh, a good share is Chinese herbs. And then the professional herbalist program is one-third Chinese medicine, where we learn the proper use and dose and preparation and context for these things and how they can be used to 
support the needs of modern Americans. Excellent. And so you, these, both of these classes are available now. Uh, and uh, where would you recommend people uh, go to learn more about them? I know we're going to be talking, we'll point people to the Climb um, uh, Health Herbalism website. Uh, that's the pcc.edu. Yeah, that's the place to go. There's plenty of great detailed information there for people, and they can uh, see some videos, they can read some extended descriptions of these uh, classes, and I think that their questions will be answered if they go there. Excellent. Are there any other uh, sort of external resources uh, around, uh, I, I don't know, now I'm just sort of guessing, any sort of certification, uh, uh, any standards body that uh, that oversees uh, this area of uh, naturopathic medicine? Yeah, well, certainly um, some of our courses are online, so I'm talking to people, you know, all over the country, and this wouldn't apply. But where we are here physically in Oregon, it's a state that's very involved in natural medicine, and we have a number of credentials that would involve the use of Chinese herbs. The specific, the two credentials that we're involved with in um, at PCC Climb are uh, the American Herbalist Guild credential, which is called Registered Herbalist, and that's like being board certified as an herbalist. So that's a rigorous uh, multi-year requirement, uh, including uh, the kinds of things that we teach about herbs at PCC. And then the other credential is um, through the uh, National Association of Nutrition Practitioners, which is, um, again, a credential, a rigorous credential that people uh, apply for after having taken these kinds of courses. And so both of those have... uh, they give people the opportunity to go out into the work world and apply these things either as consultants or in the industry. Excellent. Uh, great resources, uh, KP. Thank you. We'll put those in the show notes so you can uh, get links to uh, all of the PCC material as well as these uh, certification resources as well. Uh, KP, thank you so much for joining us once again this week. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Well, it's nice to talk to you, Pete. Thanks a lot. And thank everyone else out there for listening to us. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pcchealthprofessionals, which has become a terrific resource for health and healthcare news thanks to the contributions of the IHP team every single day. If you're listening to the show on Facebook, you can also head over to iTunes and search for it, and you can subscribe for free to ensure that you get uh, get each episode each Tuesday as we publish. Uh, On behalf of KP Khalsa and PCC Climb, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next week on the PCC Institute for Health Professionals podcast. Thanks for listening.